episode recap of the premiere of LEGO Masters on my podcast, Talk Bricks Masters. The show is definitely not slowing down in its fourth season, and neither is the podcast. As every week, I'm going to be bringing together a panel of your favorite LEGO Masters to break down each episode, and I'll also be bringing a few days after the exit interview with the team that went home. And that's on top of my weekly LEGO news roundup on my YouTube channel, Talk Bricks. So there's definitely a lot of LEGO content heading your way. And with this being the start of a brand new season, don't forget to leave this podcast ratings and reviews on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share it with all of your LEGO Masters friends. And with all that preamble out of the way, let's jump into our premiere recap for season four. Well, Will said this would be a season we'd never forget. So of course I needed a panel of equally unforgettable contestants from previous seasons. Welcome to the podcast. He's he's a fan favorite, a longtime uh, long member of our of our community here on the podcast from season one. We've got Mel. Say hello to everyone. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Welcome back, everyone. And I'm, I'm glad to be back, too. Like, welcome back. We're back in yeah. business. Right? <laughs> it's like putting on like a cozy blanket, like we're back home. Uh, but another one of our favorites and friends of the pod from season two, we've got Dave Coletta. Say hello to everyone. Hey, everybody. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me back, Michael. It's great to be talking about Lego Masters again. I know. I know. Um, and I, I said to everyone pre-show, I'm trying to do a one, two, three thing. So from season three, making his recap debut, we've got Greg Toll. Say hello to everyone. Hello, everybody. Michael, thanks for having me. Excited to sit on this side of the fence and uh, make all kinds of nice and critical comments that are out of context and, you know, possibly undeserved. So... <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell me what you really thought about our coverage last season. But, um, <laughs> well, we're very excited to be jumping into this season. And with this season, they're definitely doing a couple different things. Um, you know, most notably, um, in addition to the $100,000 prize and the trophy and the title of Lego Masters, they are also the final build and the winners will have their build immortalized into an actual Lego set. So, Greg, you know, you just came off the show not too long ago. They didn't offer this to you. How do you feel about this new addition to season four? Well, I'm just miffed. I never got into the uh, finale by my own fault, by the way. You know, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to suggest any foul play. But uh, so I don't know. I think I've never gotten past that. So the idea of things being immortalized in a Lego set would have always been out of reach for me. <laughs> Yes, you know, listen, I'm not here to dig up old wounds either, Greg. So <laughs> I think it's a I think it's a really cool opportunity. I mean, that's that's pretty special for somebody who's a fan of the brick to, you know, have something that they designed immortalized in a Lego set. So I definitely hope that that's an extra degree of motivation for the contestants this year. Yes. And I'm curious when they're going to tell them, because obviously Will is very giddy of this being a secret. Um, but Mel, you know, what do you think? You know, you, you came from the original season. You've seen things change. Um, you know, what do you think about this latest prize? Is this better than the hundred thousand dollars? It's spoiling all the new contestants. Like each year, they just get a little <laughs> bit more, a little bit more. You know, came from the like the trailer dressing room. You know, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. But you did get to you know film the show in L.A. A little more glamorous than Atlanta. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. So I can't complain too much, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and obviously, you know, Lego has like a formal function for fan designers to submit projects that get voted on, which is the Lego Ideas platform, which, you know, this kind of reminds me of. But Dave, you know, I'm curious to get your thoughts on on this. You know, is this something that you would have killed for the chance for? It's just an amazing opportunity for anybody um, to have 
this path to becoming an official set. I mean, this is, I think something that the audience has probably been asking for too, is like, wouldn't it be cool if we could build the stuff that we saw on the show? So I think this is great for the builders, great for the audience, great for the show. I think it's great for Lego overall. Yeah. And I think I'm curious to see like sort of then how the season manifests in that way, because obviously the big builds at the end are giant, but I'm curious if maybe the challenge will will lean itself to it being a set, either them designing even something small or they have to design the big showpiece and the small set or something like that. Or maybe it has to be designed around minifigures. So I'm very curious, you know, sort of how that final challenge manifests. but. That's my little teaser. So you'll stay listening to the podcast the entire season. Uh, but this was a really fun episode, a whole new group of, you know, contestants. So, you know, why don't we jump into just that, you know, like we'll talk through, you know, the build phase, how everyone, the trials and tribulations they went through as they built for this challenge and the judging phase where we talk about all the final builds. But I'm curious just to get everyone's high level thoughts of the season and the contestants, you know, I'm curious if anyone stood out to you. So Dave, I'll, I'll send it right back to you. You know, was there anyone you know, that just jumped out as characters on the screen for you? Uh, there's so many characters. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of huge personalities and a lot of great um, pairings, you know, some that we haven't seen before, some that we have seen before. Um, I think the ones that I'm most excited about watching, let's just say that I'm most sure. excited from the first episode. So not to hurt anyone's feelings. Um, <laughs> Allison and Melanie really stood out to me as like huge personalities that are going to bring something that we may not have seen as much of. And, you know, it, it calls back to some of the great female pairings that we've had in other seasons. Sure. Uh, Crystal and Amy, Natalie and Michelle. There's just so many great ones. Um, and then another team that I'm really excited to watch, I would say maybe just because I'm a teacher, uh, Luis and Alex. I, yeah. I'd like to see what some teachers bring. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, this is such a really great cast. You know, I got to meet them all in my preseason interviews and it made me so excited for the show. But I also think one of the things that stood out to me was the, like the very first line of the episode is Chris saying to be a Lego master would honestly be incredible to be the first veteran, the first person of color, the first person to inspire my family to do something this great. And I know, Mel, you've always been a big proponent of the casting and making sure that these stories get told. You know, I, you know, I'm curious just to get your thoughts on like the show, not just, you know, not shying away from it, but it was like literally the first thing that was said by a contestant on this season. Yeah, absolutely. I, and all the things he said, I, I definitely felt from season one, like you want to be the first you want to be because like it, it's so great in a perfect world. It's just so great to represent yourself. And that's it. But yeah. like with people like with me and Chris, you represent you, you represent your family, you represent the community that you come from, you represent the people that look like you. So like, it means everything that, you know, that he put his best foot forward. So I could, I could definitely feel that pressure. Yeah. And I mean, we even saw, you know, from Nina and Sam, I mean, there's a, there was a lot of talk of, about representation on this season. So I know personally, I think that's one of my favorite parts about the show. So I really loved it. But Greg, you know, turning it over to you, any final thoughts just about the overall, you know, kind of kickoff of the season and any any contestants that may have stood out to you? I definitely think that there's some real skill in the builder pool. And sometimes I felt like in the earlier seasons, it was kind of more stratified, maybe the gap between the top and the bottom. Um, but it's there's a lot of skill in the field right now. A couple of teams that I think are going to be a lot of fun to watch are Karen and Amy. They yeah. <laughs> they really cracked me up. I, I am a big fan of people who are uh, wise in their years, let's say, and still out there 
really just taking life by the horn. So I, I love seeing that. I had a couple of grandparents like that. So that might be part of the influence. And then Christopher and Robert, the two tech startup guys, they <laughs> definitely look like a couple of real brainy dudes. And I have to, I have to admit, they kind of reminded me of Brendan and I in some ways. And uh, I'm watching these two guys out there and I'm really excited to what, to see what they do, maybe on some more technical challenges too. So those are two teams that I, I think I'll especially enjoy watching this season. I love it. Well, let's jump into this episode in particular. Welcome to Brick Lake, we get from Will Arnett. For your first challenge, you're going to cruise into the competition by building your own personalized motorized party boats. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a classic kickoff to the season. Jamie says, it's your chance to show us, show us and the world who you are as builders. And so um, the one thing I also love, though, is Amy went on to say, you know, have fun with it so that we get to see that wow from far away. But close, we want to see all those fantastic little details. And so, I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because I almost feel like, um, you know, is the show sort of trying to train them from an earlier, you know, part of the season on what they're looking for in a more obvious way? But Mel, what did you think about this challenge? And is this something that you would have loved on your season? Oh, yeah, this this challenge is fun. It just seemed like each challenge gets more fun and fun, right? So like, yeah, you know, you're, you're mixing it up with a little bit of water and they have to float. So now you're thinking about how you're going to build this thing and is it going to sink or is it really going to float? Um, and 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 I just love the fact that you had several several teams actually incorporate the movement because that's important. Like, you know, yeah, we're floating. But I want to see some wild stuff, right? Like, you know, it, it would have been great to, to see more lights on stuff. Like, just go go for it. Like, even though it's water and stuff like that. And it's like, no, nah, don't do that as water. No, nah, go for it. Like, you know, you, it's, you know, no bets. Like, you know, all bets off, you know, just just go for it. And so I think that I think that this this one right here, and, and I heard Jamie say, like, this one here was probably like lesser of all of the challenges, right? So if this is lesser than the challenges, friend, I can't wait to see what's next. <laughs> For real. And I think like this builds on what we've seen over, especially like season three, I'd say, which is combining, you know, kind of a normal Lego Masters challenge with just some added technical component. Like it's not even a technical challenge. It's not like the make and shake table or, you know, one of those or the bridge challenge. It's just every challenge has a technical component. You know, Greg, right. you're obviously very familiar with that from your season. What what was your take on this challenge? And I'm curious, like, if this was you and Brendan, you know, what would your boat have looked like? Oh, that's such a great question. Well, as the guy who didn't do quite a great job, I think, of hitting what the judges were looking for, um, <laughs> I, I actually didn't even think about that in this. I was like, it, it needs to be very statement forward though, right? Like we didn't embody our first build from season three with um, the right approach to personalities. So I think a lot of these teams are really hitting on that idea of getting icons. But the first thing that jumped out to me was I was like, oh, you're going to have to consider the weight of your final product. And you're really going to have to think about the balance. And so we'll talk about how that maybe affected some teams later. But as soon as you're talking about being on water and six years in the Coast Guard, I spent a lot of time on it, right? It's like, you really need to think about how heavy that's going to get because you're going to change the the buoyancy level, right? The center of gravity, and you're going to think about the balance for the model. So, so there definitely is a little bit of a technical challenge in there, and you see how some teams handle that better than others. Yeah, and you know, like in the windmill challenge in season two, you know, we saw that there was like a test fan, so people could at least get a chance. So, Dave, I'm curious, like, do you think that they had something to test this? And you know, it was only ten hours. You know, do you think that that you know, it's a pretty short first build. I'm curious to get your thoughts on the challenge. I have to say, Michael, I was also surprised at how short that first challenge was because mm -hmm. I think you watch any other season and you get more than 10 hours in that first episode because you need a little time 
to get accustomed to the brick pit. You need time to yeah. get, your, get your sea legs, so to speak. <laughs> so this was a little surprising how short the challenge was. It was a deceptively complicated challenge. Whenever you're going to throw water in, I'm sure Greg will tell you, there is a lot of extra stuff that's going to go into it that you need that time to tinker to try things out. So I'm hoping that I, they got a chance to figure out how much it weighed and figure out, get at least one test of it being on the water. So I, I'm hoping for their sake that they had that. <laughs> I know, but even the more you test, the less time you have to build. So, you know, it's a, everything in this competition is risk reward. Um, but Greg, I see you jump in. What's your thoughts? I was just going to say, based on my experience in the third season, anytime we had something that was generally more technical, we would have opportunities to test it throughout. So when we did the dog walk in episode five, they put out a section of the, the runway for us so we could test our dogs on it. Um, when we had some other things later were involved, like setting something in a complicated place, they would give us the opportunity throughout the build period. So my guess would be, I don't know this, but my guess would be that they did have the opportunity to go up to Brick Lake before the final judging and test their models beforehand. So I don't know how many teams may have availed themselves of that, but that would be my guess. Yeah. Good thoughts all around. Well, Let's jump into the build phase. Let's get to know some of these teams. Unfortunately, and I'm sure some people will be mad at me for this, but with so many teams, we can't go into every single one for the build phase, but we definitely will for the judging phase. So don't worry about that. So I've I've created like a smattering of highlights and things that I thought would be fun for us to talk through. And, you know, Greg, you mentioned them earlier, Christopher and Robert. Um, you know, they are the, you know, co-founders, the, you know, the, the, the pitch team. And this was really amazing. I, Chris's first quote was, he says, we have to paralyze, parallelize the work, surface assumptions early and often, right? Figure out what is possible here and what is the minimum viable product for this particular launch. And, you know, one thing I, I you know, Chris is a, a YouTuber like me. So I, I, I met him at Brickworld. So I know him a little bit, but he's a project manager in his real life. And this came out very clear, but you know, with Brendan's engineering background, you like you said, you must have seen a little bit of this in your team. Yeah, I, I felt like I did. And that PM skill, I mean, that is huge. So many teams get in trouble because they can't manage their time or their workflow. So I I think that those guys, you know, they executed well here. You could definitely see that kind of startup mentality <laughs> coming out, which is great. It's just a big personality thing for the two of them. So I felt a little, a little resonance, you know, like from Brendan and I. <laughs> well, and then the other thing we learned about Christopher is that he's actually trying to create the curate the world's largest Lego collection. Um, and Mel, I know you're in the Lego Ambassador Network with Chris. You've seen his room and you've got a great Lego room of your own, Mel. But Chris's room is something else, you know, to tell the audience a little bit what, what they don't know. Oh, uh, what you don't know is, you know, that was that actual truth, truthful statement where Will was like, you know, look, we can have, you know, Lego Masters 5 at your place. It's, it's a true story. He has a he has a lot of 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 Lego collections, and not only that is that he he's a great mock person. So then you think about all the extra brick on top of just the sets alone. It's 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 a Lego store in itself. Yes. Well, you know, one thing they did mention though is that being a fan of Lego and the sets, you know, obviously you you can learn a ton from building sets. But unless you are willing to put like the you know bricks to other bricks, I don't know, pen to paper. I was come, trying to come up with an analogy. You know, it, you've never, if you've never mocked, you've never mocked. But, you know, Dave, what, what's your thoughts about like making that transition? And even for, for other people listening, like if you build a lot of sets, like should you consider going on the show? Is, is that enough? Well, I think Robert talked about that a little bit. And he said, you know, we've built a lot of sets, but we haven't done as much mocking. And I thought it was really nice to put that vulnerability out there and to make 
the audience see that these are all real people. Everybody's coming to it from a different place. And just because you don't mock now doesn't mean <laughs> you can't do it in the future. And like, look at Robert and Christopher. They haven't done as much, but they're here with everyone else. And that doesn't mean they don't have something to bring to the conversation. And let's, let, I mean, we're always talking about inclusivity. We don't need to be gatekeepers on things, you know? Sure. Let's let everybody have a voice here because the more voices we have, the more rich of a show hopefully we will have. Yes. Well, there's a couple of fun character moments that I wanted to touch on very quickly about like your point about the rich tapestry of our Lego community. Um, I really just loved Tim and Tim. Uh, you know, they, they had their kind of like struggled intro where it says, I'm Tim and I'm the other Tim and we're the Timinators and take, take one. And then they changed it and they did it again. And then they became the Texas Tims. Um, you know, so I'm just, you know, Mel, you're a talker, you know, some, sometimes, you know, being natural in these, you know, in the moment interviews is challenging. Uh, what did you think about this, this funny line read, uh, from the Tims? I just love how, how production went ahead and they, they kept all the takes because they couldn't decide. It sounded like they couldn't decide what name that they were going to go with. <laughs> <laughs> so they had like, if you listen, they had almost about like four names or something like that. They were trying to figure it out. So every time they threw it out, it seemed like the other Tim was saying something else and they just couldn't, they couldn't come with it. It was like a crapshoot. And so I, I, I love, I love the realness of that. Like, you know, because sometimes you're just not sure, right? You're not sure <laughs> exactly what, you know, is it that you're going after and Tim and Tim, you know, TNT, that's probably, the, 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 that Ooh. should be the TNT. But, I love you know, that. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, man. And so, like, they, they you know, I, I love that they're showing the true colors, the true colors of the builders. And, and that's what we want to see. Yes. Getting to know the builders is, like, exactly, I think, the fun of the show. You know, I mean, like, obviously, we want to see the builds. We want to see, you know, I don't know, some people like Corey don't want to see the explosion. So don't tell, you know, friend of the pod, Corey, that. But, you know, some people want to see that. But I think getting to know the people is the most rewarding part yeah. of the this, this show. And Dave, you mentioned... Allison and Melanie. So let's touch on them quickly. They, you know, made a song, especially for Will Arnett. It was, I, I assume it was a, a parody of Rock and Robin, which is brickety, brickety, brick, brickety, brickety, brick. Um, you know, what did you think of, of this character moment and getting to know their, their amazing musical ability? Uh, Boone better watch out. That's, I mean, what else can, when you say, can you say? I mean, yeah. there, there might be a new hit <laughs> single coming out. Mel says no. You can't they got nothing it. on Boone. Nothing on uh, Boone. We'll see. We'll see. Because it's two of them against one Boone. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. Mark didn't do a lot of singing. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but, you know, the final like fun character moment I wanted to talk through was Karen and Amy. You know, Greg, I think you mentioned them earlier. They, uh, you know, are the two grandmas, but like, don't count them out. When I preseason inter interviewed them, you know, Amy does Ironman races like you. You cannot count them out, which is unbelievable. But, you know, they did want to make sure they incorporated all their grandchildren. And Amy reminds us that they have 27 grandchildren combined. And Karen had actually had a new one that day. Uh, which was number 24 for her. Greg, you know, you are notorious from coming from a big family. I guess, how many grandchildren are in your family? So between the eight siblings right now, there's only nine kids so far. Yeah, only so nine. my parents, yeah. But I mean, <laughs> bear in mind, like some of my siblings haven't even got started yet. So there, you know, we could easily, my my parents could easily have like 30 grandkids by the time we're up and rolling. Oh my gosh. But yeah, I loved that. I, I At first I thought it was like, um, like just an oops, but no, it was not, it was not a mistake. <laughs> they really did have that many, which I just, I don't know, I loved. And I found them so endearing, um, both in my preseason interview and getting to see them on the show. 
But obviously, you know, like part of the build phase is getting into the trials and tribulations, some of the struggles that our teams went through. And so we have to, of course, touch on Brad and Mike. Um, their build was the Bear Shack. Um, and I really just, first of all, I just really loved this duo, you know, married for over two years. Um, you know, they they just had like a fun banter. Um, but the thing that they really struggled with was getting started, you know, so they're three hours in, they have nothing to show for it. We then see later on, they're five hours into a 10 hour challenge, have nothing to show for it. You know, Greg, you know, I, I don't, like I said, I said, I wouldn't bring up old wounds, but maybe I lied. Um, you know, obviously you had a similar experience on the show, getting started with your build, you know, talk us through, you know, what was your reaction to Brad and Mike and, and, and what might've been going through their heads? It's, it's tough to watch somebody else when they go down the same difficult road that you went down somewhere in the past, because you can immediately empathize and feel for them. So, I mean, that's just, you know, it's a, it's a long time. And I think if you're watching the show, there can definitely be an element of like, Hey, like, what's up? Like, come on guys, let's just go. But I mean, I can tell you when we ran into that in the 12th episode on season three, it was like, it, for whatever reason, things just weren't clicking that that day. And we'd been able to perform well leading up to that. It was just like an off day for us. It took us over an hour to get started on that challenge. And so it can certainly be an intimidating environment, no matter how excited you are, how much you've watched the show, you walk into the brick pit. That's amazing. You know, there's 5 million parts to build with. There's like 30 cameras in your face, right? You're seeing other people building around you. And if you feel like they're doing a really good job, it's just, I mean, it's this kind of, it can be a very intimidating, overwhelming environment. I think, especially in your first episode, because you're like, I don't really like what's going on right now, right? You're just kind of like trying to find your footing. So I definitely empathize with them. And uh, that's just, that's a that's a tough thing to hit right out of the gate. Yeah. You know, and to your point, you, you've made this big commitment. You're on the show. You're doing all this stuff. Like, I definitely felt for them in the moment. And, and even like when uh, Brad said, I'm petrified of Jamie and Amy coming over. I can only imagine, you know, I know Dave off. Off pod, we've talked about, you know, like even now you you think about the judges and and how they might perceive some of those things. Um, but I'm also curious, like, you know, do you think that there was a piece where they just they were so excited they knew they could go in any direction? It, it, in some ways, are these challenges hard because they're so open ended and you could go in a hundred different directions about especially something that's about you? I think what happens sometimes at the beginning is you have a partner and you really want to work with your partner. And I think what a lot of people get caught up on early on in the competition is when you and your partner want to collaborate on something and take two ideas and merge them together. And I think that can be one of the hardest things that happens because then the judges see two things getting smushed together into one thing instead of just picking one strong idea. And obviously, they're a very loving team. They care about each other. They want to respect each other. You could sense that from seeing them on the show. But what I felt was like they had three ideas. They tried to put them all together into one big idea. And they fell into that trap of like, now what is it? When what you really need to do is like, give up a little bit of yourself and say, this is the best idea. We need to go down this road. Yeah. And Mel, you know, in talking to you over the years, like obviously like you played one role, Jermaine played another role, you know, like sometimes someone's got to be the quarterback this challenge and maybe it'll be someone else the next challenge, you know, like, you know, talk me through some of that, you know, it kind of, you know, kind of a, it builds on what Dave was saying about the partner dynamics. But I know even when, when with you and Jermaine, like sometimes someone just has to 
be the leader of that challenge. Do you think that would have been helpful here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, even even like during during our during season one, me and Jermaine, we switched roles a bit. You know, most of the time I felt like I was I was following, but I find myself leading, and uh, especially with the creativity. And um, it it it's tough, but you have to know your partner. You know, it's just like the dance. You know, somebody leads, somebody follows. Um, because at that point you might have some type of uh, uh, repercussion. You have two leaders and you you go in opposite direction. Whereas that that bridge, I don't think myself or Jermaine took the you know step to all right. I'm going to be the leader, and that's that's where we fell is because none of us took the ownership to be the leader and actually do the project management. Is that what project management? <laughs> <laughs> and our our bridge failed because no one, you know, took ownership of being a leader. So that is like key with these, like, especially with these short, uh, short trips with, with these builds. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. And I think like when it's only 10 hours, you just have to start throwing bricks down. Like there's just not enough time. And, you know, even creating some sort of a base ship structure still gives them time to build off of that. You know, mm. you know, if they just started building a boat, you know, and mm. they hadn't picked the idea yet, that would have gotten them at least a, two hours of good building while they thought of stuff. Um, mm. That's something that came to mind for me. And then the other team that they showed, you know, um, with some additional struggles was Emily and Kelly. Um, you know, but one of the funny character moments I loved was uh, uh, Kelly says, Emily is a social butterfly. She's walking around to all the teams. She, her, I mean, to your point earlier, Dave, about vulnerability, she was like, like, she's like, I can't tell anyone what to do because I'm already freaking out. Like she had some funny quote like that. Um, but Mel, I know you were a bit of a social butterfly in your season. Um, but but what did you think about Emily? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, you know, I, I love Emily and I know Emily and I know Kelly and, and, and Emily is a true social butterfly. Like if you ever see Emily in, in, in brick cons, that's who Emily is. And so I think Kelly forgot to have that talk with her. Like, Hey, look, you need to turn that off. <laughs> like building now and so you know i kind of felt bad because it's like you know you you're coming together as a as a group and and or as a team and and you, your your teammate is off being friendly to everybody like hey <laughs> i know this is where we need a classic like um you know bachelor bachelorette phrase you know i didn't come here to make friends you know like i, I think <laughs> like we need we need more i mean listen i love like the lovey-dovey family but like i'd love someone to just be really cutthroat and be like Emily, don't talk to me. I didn't come here to make friends. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but Dave, you know, one of the things that we saw was the balance between building big, you know, like that's something that they, that we love to see on the show, but then adding enough detail, it almost felt like Amy's words were really echoing in their build, you know, but so talk me through, like, how do you plan a build to make sure that you're not missing those components? Uh, and I think this is where like the really short time frame comes in. Sure. Like this, where you're like, you've never done this before. You've never built speed build before. Like you've never, you've never done Lego Masters before. You may have watched it, but it's totally different to have to do it. Um, so you don't really truly understand what it's like to be like, we need to spend, these are the things we must have. These are the things we'd like to have. And how do you break that down into like, how many hours are we going to spend on this? And how many hours are we going to spend on this? And you know, Michael, I always like to say, you know, <laughs> every build is a reaction to the previous build. So let's see what happens as time goes on. You know, will they learn lessons from that experience yeah. of how did they manage time in this one? How did they break things down into something that works? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, 
it's just, you know, we've seen a lot of teams handle it differently. Like I remember season one, like, you know, Mark was just like a speed builder. So he would just throw up structures and then Boone, I think about the mega city challenge, you know, his, his building, you know, Mark just threw up that structure. Boone was building like the hot dog guy and all the little characters and all that sort of stuff. You know, Greg, I'm curious, like for you and Brendan, how did you divide and conquer for like the big, you know, uh, you know, kind of structures and the details, or did you not do it that way? Yeah. So actually at the beginning of every challenge, what we would do is we would break things down into divisions of work for each person on the team, estimates for each section of work that we had for each person. So by four hours in, we want you to fit this benchmark, you know, and then the other thing we would do is we would create three tiers of objectives, which was tier A, the things that absolutely had to be built before the clock was out. Tier B, the things that would be really good to have in the model because they would elevate it. And then tier C, the things that we'd like to have, but if we ran out of time and they didn't happen, it didn't matter that much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's like a you know, hundred different ways you could go about this and and you know, and, and we'll see every team do it differently. And to your point, Dave, hopefully we see everybody learn a little bit um, you know, in all the subsequent challenges. But Let's jump into the judging phase of, the, of this challenge. You know, we want to talk about all the builds, see how everything came together. You know, and my favorite, uh, one of my favorite things about the kickoff of the judging phase is when we get a beautiful animation. So we see all the boats, they're all like sort of posed in diagonal lines, um, you know, on the beautiful Brick Lake uh, build that we see in the studio. But then the walls fade away um, and we can see this like beautiful, um, you know, kind of forest landscape, the mountains and the vista, uh, you know. You know, Dave, I feel like you like the animations too. What did you What did you think about seeing all the builds together? I mean, it's always nice at the beginning to just get that. This is what Lego Masters is about. It's like, we're all here together. We're all part of this community. It, it really is what makes, I think, Lego Masters a little bit of a different show that they present everything as part of a unified build. So yes, it's a competition, but we're all stronger when we show what we can do together. I love that. And one thing, you know, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, uh, Greg, is, you know, I know you built a ship uh, when we went to um, Brickworld Chicago, but it's sort of all the ships lined up reminded me of convention builders where like all they build is boats or all they build are tanks or all they build are cars. You know, were, were you getting a little bit of that vibe? Am I, was it just me? No, I think, I think that's totally fair. Sometimes you see people, they really kind of slide into a certain niche and then they sort of just build variations of the same thing, which is not, you know, a, a bad thing necessarily, like come to Lego the way that you want to. But people really start to get elevated as builders, I think, when they start to push themselves out of their niches. Yeah. Well, and especially like on this show, I remember Jessica from season one in her exit interview or her postseason deep dive with me said, you know, like if you're going to be on the show, like practice building the things that you're not good at. You know, like if you build castles, build spaceships. If you build, you know, this, build that. And so I think uh, to your point, it, it never hurts to, to vary up your building as you're preparing for this or even just to challenge yourself as a builder. Um, so Mel, stop building buildings. Um, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, why don't we jump into the actual judging? We'll go into the same. We'll go through this the same order that the show did. And our first build was Christopher and Robert's pitch party pagoda pontoon. And we saw Christopher just come out kind of with that used car salesman energy. Um, welcome to the pitch party pagoda pontoon featuring entrepreneurs Christopher and Robert as they pitch their latest startup idea to a panel of seasoned industry veterans. This is no boring business meeting. No, this is a party. Uh, and then he like throws his blazer open. That was I liked that, uh, you know, sort of, that sort of, uh, you know, as showmanship. 
And then he said, don't have uh, too much fun or you'll end up like this guy. And they actually animated the minifigure sort of like throwing up Lego studs off the side. Um, but, you know, Mel, I know you're a showman. What did you think about the Pitch Party Pagoda pontoon? Oh, man, I think I think the pitch. What was it? The pitch? Too many peas. Yes, it was a very alliterative Pitch Party Pagoda oh. pontoon. Man, I think <laughs> I think it was awesome. Like I, I'm, so, this is number one for me, Michael. And I'm say that early. This is number one for me because I think that these two young men had crafted the brick excellent. Not only that you had the you know the the centerpiece, but then you got all these stories on the side, and and they're telling so they had movement. Yeah. So it to me, this is like this is like really setting the bar really high, really high. I, I I'm a big fan of of Christopher and Robert. I am. Yes. I mean, definitely it was a really stunning build. Um, and to your point about the movement, there's a dance floor where there's just a bunch of business people with their $100 Lego printed tiles and just spinning around, which I really loved. And I imagine it uses a similar mechanism. I don't know if any of you have built the Lego Ideas BTS set, um, but there's a stage where they all spin around uh, the BTS band members. But I also loved that there was just $1 bill spinning on its own on the floor. <laughs> so um, I, don't, I don't know if they ran out of minifigures or what, but I found that very funny. Um, but Dave, what did you think about the build and how this one came together? I mean, that pagoda was pretty complicated. I, I was looking at the details on it, and it was not a simple build. Uh, there was a lot of intricate roof work being done on that, and it, you know, it seemed almost greebled with texture. Uh, so I was impressed with that, and I felt like it had the icon from far away. Um, it drew you into it to see those details that were happening. Absolutely. Yeah. The pagoda was so stunning with the dark red roofs. I, you know, I always think about everyone's struggles about not finding the right pieces. And so to your point, the fact they could, you know, craft those traditional, you know, architecture roofs like that in dark red of all colors, I felt like was very impressive. And the entire building was actually uh, rotated, you know, 45 or yeah, 45 degrees, you know, so it was like, um, you know, it was diagonal on on the build, which I think you know, getting interesting angles in Lego is not for every builder, you know, so I thought that was a huge standout as well. But Greg, you know, what were your thoughts about their build? I thought that it was a good concept. It was thematically well executed. And to points already made, they really considered the details. So people have spoken, you know, about the dancers, which was great, but there's one shot where you can see a graph chart right on the front. And there's like a prospective profit line is what I assume it is, you know, so there's this little <laughs> red line just rising up towards the top of the chart. And those kinds of things like that's, listen, big statements get you a lot of attention, but details are what will get you to win. And so these guys are already hitting that right point. I mean, they've made a big splash for themselves because they had something, they've said it perfectly that drew you in, but then they had the details to keep you there. Yeah. Well, it reminds me even of like your castle build where you had like the large chess pieces and like the comedy and tragedy symbols where you can add details that are like, medium sized does that make sense like they're not minifigure size they're not like the large icons but they're like very readable you know and i think you know like amy mentions in another team this may have been hard to decode like those kind of things the fact that you knew it was a chart that means they yeah. built it at the right scale um so yeah. i really did love that um you know this one was really fun two large unicorn heads at the front of the ship i don't know how that has to do with pagodas but i also thought they were goofy and i loved it um you know there's big engines at the back with a big red sign with white letters that says pitch pagoda party you know this was definitely a fun build and the judges agreed you know they you know i think amy's line was one of my favorites where she said i was worried about how you were going to make it a party and communicate that through lego bricks like after hearing this pitch 
you know, idea, but they really did. Um, so this one was definitely a standout uh, for me. You know, Mel, like you said, this was top, top tier. Um, you know, they didn't do, they didn't do a top two, bottom two, but I have to imagine if they had done a top two, that this would at least have been a contender. Um, and from a float st test standpoint, which was the other thing, you know, the other criteria here, which was they were gonna have to put their boat on the lake and actually drive it with the RC motor. Um, you know, they didn't really explain how this would work or how it was, you know, how it was being judged exactly, but it floated, it balanced really well. They were able to drive it around. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm curious, like, uh, you know, they sort of yada yada through this, but Dave, like, what was your thoughts just about like this boat driving test, you know, segment of the judging? So I think everybody here knows, uh, that there are the criteria that we see on the show. And then there's the other hidden criteria that we don't know. So obviously there's some sort of hidden criteria here. And I'm going to speculate about some of the hidden criteria for this challenge. I think that there was at some point, there was definitely some sort of height criteria, which you could see on Mike and Brad's because they had the white tower of two by four bricks stacked on their boat. And that oh. was probably the height that they wanted everyone to hit. However, I think at some point that height thing was thrown out the window because you see on this build, Christopher and Robert, it didn't quite get as high as some of the other ones. And that's why there were so many like icons up high on a lot of builds. So I think that there was a height requirement for everybody. I'm sure there was also a weight requirement. And then they probably had some sort of requirement of like, you have to like drive around the lake in a certain path or drive around in a circle. But the, the hardest thing about being on the show is you're listening to what Amy and Jamie want, but you're also listening to what the challenge department is telling you. And you have to figure out how to balance those two things in your mind and square those two things because the challenge department really is trying to help you. But sometimes that's not what Amy and Jamie want. <laughs> so true. Yes. Yes. That's that adds like a like the show within the show, you know, kind of uh, issues here. But yeah, it did seem like they had to sort of drive it around the lake and like through this little canal that was sort of at the front, um, probably where they like picked it up or dropped or dropped off. So but yeah, they did a great job, um, Christopher and Robert. And then we move on to Nina and Sam. We didn't get to talk about them a ton during the, the build phase. But uh, in talking to them for my preseason interview, such a sweet duo. I, I love this team. And their build was the teapot trawler. And in this story, the party is piping hot aboard the teapot trawler. Our giant teapot keeps the chai flowing on its bed of tea leaves. Grandma is steering the ship with her spicy crew. On the main deck, our Punjabi background is highlighted by the people dancing the bangri, bangra. Uh, the party is kept going all night long because the ship is powered by the caffeinated spicy chai. Um, but Greg, what was your what was your takeaway looking at the teapot trawler? So I thought that they had very strong thematic execution and something that we kind of addressed a little bit with Mike and Brad when you have differences of idea or perspective and trying to mush those together, you end up with something disparate. And I think some teams struggled from this a bit more. Nina and Sam did not. Everything about their build looked like it was absolutely in line with one theme that they both completely agreed on and believed in. So it had one thing to say and it said it really, really well. I thought that the details were lovely. It was cohesively executed. It had um, pretty decent shaping to it, which I think some of the other models struggled from being uh, blocky, let's say. 
The only thing, if I was to nitpick, is I'd say that the T was a little bit uh, jerky for a pouring motion, right? And those technical details can be real. You know, my wife's a huge tea drinker. And like, you don't, you know, pour tea quickly, right? It's a very slow thing. So if that, like I would have said, if the tea had been slowed down, it would have been like almost a perfect model for what the challenge was. So I thought they did a great job. Oh, and the other thing was their, their color science was on point, their color theory. So you get teams and a couple other teams struggle with this it was so clear that they were thinking about a palette and that they were really considering the color science throughout throughout their build. So extra props to them. Yes. I mean, well said, you really gave us a great rundown. And I think to your point, like the color was, you know, and, and Amy says it, you know, so I, I shouldn't uh, pretend that like I came up with this idea, but, you know, Amy and her feedback, you know, said, and I think what you've been most successful with here is your use of color because you haven't just slapped colors on, you've really designed it. Um, and I think that that was just, you know, this is like a masterclass in how do you like check that Amy checkbox about color, but do it with such like specific purpose. Um, you know, I know, I know that resonated with you, Dave. So why don't we go to you next? What was your thoughts about their build? Uh, I mean, Greg really spilled the tea on that one. So the prow of the boat had some really interesting angles. And I think what I liked about it was that a lot of the boats, it felt like they built something on the platform. But Nina and Sam, it seemed like that the base, the pontoon base wasn't there anymore. And it was just, this is the boat. And this, it became something new because of that shaping, especially at the prow. Yeah. No, I, there was a lot of like really subtle, but like good, like shaping techniques, even throughout. Obviously, they had multiple sculpted elements, two teacups. Uh, the large chai tea pot, which had really great details. So you you know that they have some good mastery of, you know, some good shaping techniques here. But Mel, why don't you bring us home for this one? What did you think of it? Uh, I think it was right on. Like even he had the attention of the room with that teapot. Like anytime you got your competitors thinking like, man, look at that teapot. And and it, they, you know, his competitors were were looking at it. And uh, but I think the color theory comes easy for Sam and his mother. Because, you know, Punjabi, if you if you if you know their culture is all about colors, so they automatically coordinate colors. And so I think that came easy for him. And kudos to him for actually incorporating your heritage into the Lego and having the world see that's how you represent your community. Yeah. Well, and I think to your point, like it had a real like strong cultural aesthetic that was very mm -hmm. evident. You know, the like there was, you know, like we were talking about all the color, but there was these like great diagonal lines that sort of went up and down on the side, those little spots of color, the flowers even that sort of decorated the teapot trawler sign and the little border that it had going around it. Like they were just so purposeful to like give this a true cultural aesthetic that I think is often what we enjoy a lot in the Lego community is when somebody sort of takes it out of the European, you know, design language that I think we're used to seeing from the sets of the Lego City variety or whatever it might be into these you know, imaginative spaces, but also true cultural spaces. Um, and that was, I think, what was so special about this one. Um, you know, unapologetic and and really perfect. Um, so yeah, we, we all really loved this. It floated great, uh, a little bit back heavy, probably from that T mechanism. Um, but, you know, it didn't it didn't slow it down. Um, but I, I, this one was definitely another great model. But why don't we move on to Karen and Amy? This was the SOS Mimi and uh, we heard earlier in the in the uh, build part of the competition that this was a, a play on the old woman who lived in a shoe. Um, and this one was an animated one. The SOS Mimi is ready to set sail. 
these grannies really know how to party with their 27 grandchildren. Parasailing, tubing, rock climbing, and even pizza, guys. Even pizza. I thought that was the funniest thing. Not like even parasailing. No, it's even pizza. Um, <laughs> this boat has it all. When grandma is captain, this boat sails off for fun adventures. Um, but you know, Mel, you know, your grandpa, you know, is this the kind of boat that you would rock on, you know, with your grandchildren? Oh, absolutely. This kind of reminds me of like an old fairy tale story, like the old lady who lives in a shoe. And so I got that kind of feel with with this SOS Mimi, right? And and it's definitely telling a storybook story. Uh, and, and and I love it. You know, two two old gals, they rocking out, you know, and I love that they have so much character. And I love the fact that this thing is big, like this thing, yeah. is, you know, and that's how you do it. Me and Jermaine made some big, you know, uh, uh, creations on Lego Masters. And this is how you do it. Absolutely. Like, you know, like I think when you when you see the premise of this team, you're like, oh, count them out. You know, they're not going to build something exceptional, but they build the most massive and really nicely sculpted, you know, shoe, you know, that we see out of any of the creations. This one really stood out. Um, you know, Greg, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this one. I thought it was a really good idea. And I love irony. So the idea <laughs> of a huge shoe being a boat is, you know, pretty enduring right from the jump. I thought it was a great way to help represent them being grandmothers. I struggled. I personally struggled a little bit with the shaping and the execution on the build, because when I was seeing it in shots, um, if I hadn't known that it was supposed to be a shoe, I'm actually not sure that I would have thought that just from from looking at it. So I did struggle a little bit in that, but I really appreciated their idea and I really appreciated their ambition. They're, they're clearly here to play. Absolutely. Part of me wonders if maybe that confusion was because of the color of the shoe. It was like mm -hmm. a bright yellow shoe, but then like where the laces were was white. And, you know, like, so maybe because I think like you need to create these contrast moments that are really clear. And when you're going to, you know, veer off, you know, I, I personally don't own any yellow shoes, you know, but certainly I think if they maybe had gone with a darker color, it would have been more evident um, exactly to your point, what, what it was meant to represent. But Dave, what's your thoughts? I, I think, again, it was a great concept. I I was impressed um, with the studs out shaping of it. I thought that was, you know, a bold choice to make in uh, in a build like this uh, with 10 hours. Uh, there were lots of little details like the laces and the window insets. I liked all those things. And, I, you know, it was big and it was bold. And I think it was it was like, yeah, they're here to build. They're here to show us what they have. Yeah. When, and, you know, Amy speaks to it later, but like they want to see ambition. They want to see you go all out and, you know, like uh, fail big and they didn't fail at all. You know, like but like you don't, but you never even get a chance to, to see what you could do until you do it. Um, so, yeah, I really liked this one a lot. And, um, you know, from a float test standpoint, they, you know, they put it in the water and unfortunately, the shoe falls over and falls off of its base. Um, you know, it, it was one of those like sad moments, but it was also like a very like slow-mo, non-destructive, you know, it landed kind of like gently in the water, <laughs> um, you know, so it wasn't the classic Lego Masters uh, blow up, I think that we normally uh, get to see on the show. And it's interesting because Will, you know, he makes the statement, you know, like, I'm, you know, we'll have to see if your build was strong enough to sort of like overcome this component uh, of the challenge, uh, which I thought was interesting too, just to highlight that piece of it. Uh, but then we, of course, move on to Tim and Tim. This was Fire Sail, um, another animation. Ahoy, y'all, all aboard the Fire Sail, where the, where the Texas barbecue is so hot that even our chefs can't control it. Look out for that sail. 
In our lounge, you can cheer on the home team as you take in a football game. And just like true Texans, you can ride a bucking bull. Just don't let the te- don't let the Texas Tims distract you as we take our selfie from the best view of all. Um, you know, Greg, if anyone knows about bucking bulls, since you participated in that challenge last uh, season, you know, maybe let's say it's you, but we'll start with you on this one. What do you think about Tim and Tim's fire sale? I thought that it was a lot of fun. And I thought that it was a really good way for them to bring, you know, some of their personality and and their and their state pride to the build uh i don't know if you know a lot of texans half of my family is texans <laughs> are very proud of the fact that they're texans so it was like the epitome of a texas thing to you know build a texas thing i guess um <laughs> where i did struggle a little bit and we've kind of talked about this whereas nina and sam did a great job with their color theory i struggled with the color theory on the Timbs, and it looked like they worked out of three disparate palettes and so there's some color striping that was like fire themed around the bottom edge of the vessel that looked like its own palette and then there was a, a build section i think it was blue and red maybe and yeah. white in the middle section that looked like its own palette and then the sails were their own palette and so you can't just use color for the sake of diverse color when you're using varied colors they need to be very planned out and considerate of whether they are opposites or uh, let's say thematically aligned with each other. So that I struggled with a little bit. And I have to admit that I agreed with Jamie's point about like, hey, we want to know what is the thing we need to look at. So they had a lot of details there, but perhaps the build lacked a little bit of clarity and focus. So I'm excited to see if they can take that feedback and really take a bit of a turn on their later models and push it into a great position. Because I think that it was a good idea, just not quite optimally executed. Absolutely. You know, I, I definitely noticed that, you know, there, I had a thought when I was watching, like, why the lime green sale? You know, like, I definitely had that thought. Um, you know, it could just be that was what the bricks, you know, dictate or, you know, what. and sometimes there's considerations we don't understand at home. But I definitely think that's a really strong call out. Dave, what was your takeaway from fire sale? I, I think they probably had all those things. They were micro focused about what was going into those small details. And they just needed to take a step back and look at it from across the room and see, does this say what we want it to say? Because it seemed like they were just like, let's pour more ideas, more ideas, more ideas on top. And it just got a little lost. That's not to say that it wasn't a good build. It just didn't work from that 10 feet across the room perspective. Yeah. And they did have a strong icon at the very front of the ship with that long horn that's wearing a cowboy hat. And there's a part of me that felt like, you know, to your point, Greg, about Texan pride, I felt like those sails could have been Texas flags. I know the brick pit has red, white, and blue. They could, I feel like they could have made yep. that happen. Um, but Mel, what was your thoughts here? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Greg and, and Dave are on it. Like um, you, you got at a moment, you got to take, take a step back and see what the real focus is um, because it's just a lot of stories. I think, I think Tim and Tim had a lot of stories in that build and it's a lot of excitement. It's your first Lego masters build. Let's do everything. And you got all these great ideas. It looks like a, a bowl of jambalaya, right? Nobody <laughs> knows what's the real flavor, right? You don't, you don't know. It's like, what, what's the first thing you taste in the jambalaya? You, it's so many flavors, right? And so I think they just had way too many flavors in this barbecue and it was just too much for the, for the brick masters. Yeah. I think like if they can simplify the color palette, simplify, you know, a couple key icons, you know, th- that could have elevated this build in a really great way. Um, but the flow test worked, um, you know, it was moving around the the brick lake just fine. So um, good to see that. And we move on to Mike and Brad. Uh, theirs was the bear shack. 
Welcome mm. aboard the Bear Shack. This is our reconverted trailer cabin. We have a disco dance floor. We've got a DJ in there, the swimming on top. We used the life buoy because Mike had proposed to me using Lego and he used the life buoy as an engagement ring, which I thought was a toilet seat. Um, and Mike reasserted that there was a gem on it. So, you know, I love that we got to like see a character moment of like who these people are um, as they put themselves into the build. But Dave, why don't we start with you on this one? What did you think of how this build, you know, precariously came together in the last few hours? I mean, do you think it was a little cheeky that it said BS on the front? I mean, <laughs> let's just all, let's put that out there. I think that Mike and Brad knew like we did what we could. We, we, we struggled at the beginning. We have to put something on the table. We want to get something done. Um, I think, you know, they did the best they could despite their early struggles, but I think that BS on the front said a lot. <laughs> yes. I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit of the um, the superhero initiate training camp um, from uh, from last season. Um, I think that's what it was. But but yes, uh, when you see those letters spelled out like that, um, it definitely reminded me of that. Um, but Mel, what was your thoughts about this one? Um, I think that um, I think that if they would have actually start putting bricks down and actually crafting their ideas earlier, I think that they, I think that this would have came into better fruition. Um, it 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 looks up to par, but then at this point, the stakes are high. You're like you can't have any blocks um, because you you know that you're a contestant on Lego Masters for a reason, and and so I you know I. You know, these two, they, I love the concept. I just wish it was just more executed, just a little bit better. Yeah. And and you could tell they tried to do a lot to sort of um, like, um, you know, give the judges a little bit, you know, like I I couldn't get all of the, you know, the, the you know, carrots cut up, but at least I got a few carrots on the side, you know, like, like they had those colored stripes. They even had like a really beautiful dots pattern that went all the way around. So they like tried to give flavors of what their true potential would be. And listen, I've seen their other build, you know, their other builds, you know, Brad brought a beautiful build to a recent convention, like, we know they can do it. But under this constraint, you know, it's clear to see that it wasn't obviously that their full vision. But Greg, any final thoughts just about the bear shack? Yeah, big icons draw you in little details help you in. And more importantly, little details are what keep the judges looking at your build. Yeah, and that's where the bear shack suffered. I know. And, and, and they had some great details, details on the inside. They had their disco floor. There was like some tables with umbrellas, but I think, you know, it sort of was this large banquet hall with this incredibly cavernous tall ceiling that it sort of made you feel like it was an empty party instead of a, a party full of the life that was sort of tucked in that lowest level. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, not, not to, you know, sort of, um, you know, belabor the point, but we totally could see what they were going for. I, I know that if they could have done it from hour one, we would have seen that VW, you know, camper van. It would have been brilliant. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, it just doesn't come together the way that they want it to. Um, from a float test, um, this was actually very interesting. As they're driving it around, it almost tips over, but they're able to recover. Um, so I, I uh, Will says now he's just showing off. So I really did appreciate sort of like that fun moment that they were able to recover from their float test um, in, a, in a pretty fun and triumphant way. So um, great stuff from, you know, great effort from Brad and Mike, you know, unfortunately, it just doesn't come together with the minimal time that they had. Our next build, though, is Ryan and Aubrey's build. Um, they're another married couple um, that we, like I said, we didn't touch on a bunch during the you know earlier phase, but their build was the Pina Luau. Um, and it was based off of their, you know, love of vacations with their kids. Um, and the story is, we'd like to introduce you to Pina Luau. Everyone has some pineapple. They have some meat because there's always some barbecue going at the Luau. And uh, Aubrey says, around 
the back, we wanted it to really kind of look like a floating island. We have an audience in the stands watching the fire dancers. So yes, this one was, you know, kind of that vacation themed one. Greg, what did you think about this final build? Yeah, I thought that it was a pretty solid composition, just in the way that they laid everything out. I thought that they picked a pretty nice color palette. The thing for me that I struggled with, and I I have to agree with Jamie on this one, was, you know, pineapples are normally presented upright. And it still had what looked like the green like stem leaf part of a pineapple, except it was like on its side, but with the green stem piece. So that was a little bit, I think, hard to, to read in the context of like, oh, that's obviously a pineapple. So um, again, maybe that representation of that fruit was a little bit of a struggle, which is perhaps part of why they, they didn't um, maybe do do better than they did. I, I don't know. But other than that, I, I thought that it was a decent model. I don't have any you know, really strong critiques about it. Yeah. I mean, to your point, like, I think they had a lot of things right. You know, I loved the dark tan around the base of it, sort of like that thatched roof kind of vibe for me um, and all the tiki torches, but that pineapple, um, you know, just the shaping didn't nail it. And so when you're, when you're trying to create, they were smart enough to create the icon, but if you don't nail it, it, it almost makes you wonder, should you have had it at all? But um, Mel, what was your thoughts about this one? Oh yeah. I think my pet peeve was that the, I, I believe that at, at this stage, your your that that pineapple has to be a little bit bigger, right? And it it, it was just it, to me, it just wasn't up to par. But the fire dances kind of made up for it, and I'm being nice. Like the fire dances, like I think they had a lot of detail in this build, and you could clearly see exactly what they were trying to convey. Uh, just that that pineapple for me, I think that pineapple should have been larger than life. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it would have been you know, hopefully easy enough. You know, they could have, if they would have just made it, you know, three bricks taller, even that might've helped the proportions to make it a little bit bigger. But Dave, what were your final thoughts about the Pina Luau? I'm going to push back on you a little bit, Greg, if you don't mind. Um, <laughs> I had some questions about the composition and I think this is a question I had pretty much for all the teams. Mm. Like when you're designing this boat, are you designing what makes sense for a boat or are you designing what makes sense for us looking at your boat because i think what they did made sense for a boat but if i'm looking at it and i see a giant pineapple that's blocking everything behind it i'm not sure i it's the same thing does that make sense yeah, um, yeah. because we don't see the fire dancers when we're looking at it from the front only if we like turn around and get in there and see what's going on do we see the fire dancers so, I mean, I would, I'm a little, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not aiming Jamie. I'm not making the decisions, but like, it's a good question to think about. Like, are you designing what makes sense in your mind or are you designing what makes sense for the judges? So I think that's kind of where I was had questions about that. I did think it was a really good build. Uh, I think that there were, you know, I heard them talk with you, Michael, about how they're really, their superpowers, <laughs> color theory. Yeah. Uh, so I think they did make some really nice choices there. Uh, I I would like to see a few things switched around on that in composition and maybe make that pineapple bigger and see what else happened. You know, they had all the pieces. Let's just move the pieces around a little bit and see what what happens. Wait, when I, am I crazy? I thought the pineapple was at the back and the fire dancers and everything else and the leaves were in front of it. I think the audience was at the back, right? Yeah. Oh, you're yeah. talking. But then but then the pineapple was like further backwards. Oh, maybe I, I might be completely flipped around. I don't know my four for my aft right now. <laughs> yes, I, I, I see it the way that Dave saw it, you know, where the back sort of had those risers. Um, and I don't know if you, if you guys caught this, but at the very back, 
you know, they had a sign that said luau, but it was a little bit more unique than some of the others where each of the letters were sort of, uh, maybe they were strung along on a string. I really liked, that was like one little subtle detail that you only really saw when it was driving. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think overall, a lot of great components here, you know, a couple little tweaks, again, elevates the whole design in a really nice way. Um, and, and uh, you know, their float test went well. I loved though that how heavy their pineapple was. It's clear that they brick built it. And so you could see sort of the whole front end of it sort of dragging through the water, um, which I, I found a little entertaining. Um, so maybe that was just me. And I almost feel like this was the part of the judging where they were like yada yadaing a lot of things where they were sort of like, um, they would show us the float test in the middle of the feedback and all this sort of stuff. So I was like, wow, we like, you know, we sat with like Christopher and Robert and Nina and Sam and all these for like half of the judging. And then we started yada yadaing through the rest. Um, I don't know if you guys felt that, but it was a little jarring at a certain point where I'm like, oh, we are, you know, the, the editors are trying to make sure we make our time here. Uh, <laughs> but why don't we move on to Ben and Poppy's build? This was the U.S. Fusion. And the story here is that this is a riverboat powered by a nuclear reaction uh, reactor. And this was, you know, their goal was to bridge the generations between sort of the old and the new, as this is a grandpa and grandson. Uh, Dave, why don't we start with you? What did you think of the U.S. Fusion? I wish we would have seen more of it because I think that there was a lot of interesting stuff going on there. I really thought like the profile from the side had that total riverboat profile. There was a lot of time invested in that. Um, and then, you know, we got Amy's feedback, like I wouldn't have known it was a nuclear fusion if you hadn't said it, but I mean, I kind of thought it looked pretty good. Like there was <laughs> really like a strong icon in the middle. Again, I think maybe let, let's think about the layout of this. Like they are kind of hiding it behind the back, behind that big yellow crane. Um, but I really wanted to see more of this build and catch all the details because I thought that were some really good techniques being used. Um, I mean, that 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 wheel was pretty complicated uh, to put together. Um, so I liked this build. I want to see more of the build. I want to see more of what this team is going to do. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, they had those, you know, like you said, those big sort of water wheels on the side, you know, classic, um, you know, look for this sort of a boat. Um, but I really loved that they also started building down towards the pontoons. I don't know if you noticed that on this one where they had these sort of panels that would cover on the side, the pontoons. And I thought that was, was unique, you know, especially when we saw it posed on, uh, you know, on the stand, we just didn't see a lot of people thinking to go down below where the base stopped. And I really liked that look of it. Um, but Greg, what did you think of the U.S. fusion? Plus one to everything Dave just said. I just wanted to see more of the model. I want to see more of what these guys do. I, I can kind of agree with the critique about the nuclear reactor and what, and it's so easy to armchair quarterback these things. What immediately came into my head was like, oh, they should have just built some some nuclear symbols because that is, you know, a ubiquitous piece of information for everyone to know what they're looking at. Right. So so that was like the one thought. And those icons are really important to communicate largely and clearly what it is that you're trying to say. But excited to see more of what they built. Yes. Well, and communicating largely and clearly was a big theme where every single boat had a giant sign on it, um, which, you know, I wonder if that was a requirement of sorts, but I, I felt like that was very silly that every single one had like a billboard with the name of the boat on the side. But uh, maybe that was just me. But that's a boat thing, Michael. Every boat has <laughs> the name of the boat on the back. That's true. That's true. Um, I, I, I get very seasick, so I, I'm not spending a lot of time on boats, uh, clearly. Uh, but Mel, what did you think? <laughs> oh, no carnival cruises for Mike, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know what this is? 
and, and I sat there and I listened, I listened to Dave, he like dissect this whole thing. This is Ben and Poppy. Poppy's the old, the riverboat is the old, and Ben is the new. Nuclear fusion is is the new, right? So you take the old concept and you 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 fuse it with the new, you have a grandson and a grandfather duo. This is them. This boat represents them. And uh, uh, you know, when when Dave went down from A to B, you know, A to Z, it 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 made sense. And I'm like, man, like he's describing this couple here, like you know, the grandfather and and the grandson. Uh, uh, and and that's how I see it with the U.S. fusion. Yeah, and I think that they, you know, this was another team I think that had a nice, like more subtle but specific use of color. So like mm -hmm. all, a lot of the you know balconies on each of the levels were white. But each of the you know sets of walls of the of the levels were like a blue or a light blue. They like they found ways to incorporate color, and it was just very clean. And I and I love a good clean model, especially when you're doing it for TV. And there's a lot of little details. There was, um, you know, a, a big concert stage at the back that was sort of hidden. So I think to your point, Dave, if we could have spent a little bit more time with this one, I think we would have loved it. Um, but the float test, it floats. It was a little back heavy, maybe because you know nuclear reactors are pretty heavy. Um, but, uh, no, this was a, this was a solid one. I think these, these this is a, a duo to watch, I would say. Um, but our next duo are the teachers, Lewis and Alex. This was the teacher's Tiki lounge. And, uh, Lewis says, we brought the teacher's lounge to Brick Lake. The entire faculty made it out to the party. And of course the rotating sign at the top reminds everyone there's no kids allowed. Um, <laughs> but I did love the sign at the top because I believe what it said was Tiki, no kid. Tiki, no kid, um, which, <laughs> and listen, like it's hard to write things in small spaces, but, uh, but that just cracked me up. But Dave, we'll start with you. You're our, our resident teacher here. Um, what did you think about this one? Um, I would say this is a, a polished model. This was a model that looked like they, they knew what they wanted to do and they executed it exactly how they wanted it to be. You know, they hit that must have, like, you know, like Greg was saying, the ABC, those those different columns. Um, I got a little, it, when they showed it on TV, they kept showing it from below, kind of looking up at it. And I, when I saw it like that, I was like, I can't tell what's going on. But when they, when they got a camera view from above, then I got a better view of what was happening on deck, which is where most of the story was happening. And I think this is a team that understood what the challenge was, met the criteria, and then moved on from there to just make a nice polished model. You know, they there was clearly a height requirement because why else would you have that apple all the way up there? <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I feel like they understood what the challenge was, they met the requirements, and then they they kind of, you know, I think a lot of the initial stage of building the first few episodes is like you're either surviving or you're thriving. And I felt like they were thriving in this model. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that to your point, this one was very, very clean. Um, you know, there was sort of nothing out of place. Things were very purposeful. Um, but I agree that I think maybe it's more of like a show um, limitation where they always like that perfect side on view of all the models. And, you know, we talk about this every season, but like we would love to get to see it from all the different angles. But I think more models probably should be shot from a slightly uh, like upward or sorry, like downward angle from above because there's so much that we miss. And I think that this one was a really, to your point, like had a lot that was just so clean and you wouldn't have seen a single bit of it from that perfect side angle. Uh, but Mel, what did you think about this Teacher's Tiki Lounge? Oh, I, I think they hit the mark. That you asked for a party on a platoon. This is this is it. Um, and it's and it's funny because like you see the teachers play while the students away, right? And so like <laughs> it, 
they, they they overload this thing with with minifigures and everybody's like having a big party. So I I really love the character on this. One. Yeah. Well, and I think like they they really did a nice job bringing the tiki theme to life. Um, there was really beautiful uses of color to sort of like be those party decorations. There's like lime and pink and orange in this beautiful dots pattern around the bottom and around that second tier. And I really loved next to the pool were these large sort of like tiki totem sculptures that mm. also incorporated those same colors. So it was just like really clean, but it did feel to me almost like the um like they they rented a boat that was decorated in a tiki theme versus the boat is a tiki boat. Um, but I'm curious to get your thoughts, Greg. So my turn to push back a little bit. I think that they <laughs> hit the mark, but I didn't think that they exceeded the mark. So the mm. difference is Nina and Sam went beyond just the idea and their their build embodied the idea. And I felt like Luis and Alex, they built the idea. And that's fine. But at this point in the competition, safety can keep you in. But that only works at the beginning. So I, I hope that they start taking more risks because I felt like they just did what they're supposed to do. But doing what you're supposed to do will not take you far. Yeah. Well, and, and going back to your season with the pirate ship challenge, like, you know, your boat, you know, the reason why you won that challenge was that it was so thematic. Like the entire boat was that overgrown look from top to bottom. Like the, the theme was so strong. And I think, you know, back to even like uh, Ethan and Dom's build or, you know, Austin and Justin's build, they were like boats that had stories happening on them, if that makes sense. Like, you know, the monkeys were taking over Dom and Ethan's boat. But if you took all the monkeys out, it would have just been a really nice boat. But I like I, I think that having your boat sort of embody your theme is a way to to really exceed the, you know, the, the minimum viable product that uh, Christopher was talking about. Um, but, yeah. you know, like, like, like everyone's mentioned, Amy did mention uh, in her feedback, this is definitely, this definitely isn't the time to play it safe in the competition. Everything we want larger, bigger, push yourself to go above and beyond, um, you know, and, and that's like where a team like um, Karen and, and Amy really did shine. They did go big. They didn't, you know, they didn't shy away from doing something bold. Um, but like I said, I love the cleanliness here. I love the use of color. So to your point, I think this team has what it takes to go and bring it in those future challenges. And certainly coming off of the feedback of you guys are playing it safe um, to Dave's point about the next challenge being a reaction to the previous challenge. I can't imagine we won't see something big from them next episode. Um, so that'll be fun to see when we get to see it. And moving on, we've got Allison and Melanie. This was the musicianship. Um, and this one was set, uh, the story goes together. You can party at our musicianship, serenading the seeds, the seas with song. And she actually sings the word song, which I loved. And you can join the Rocktopus as he plays the keys. And I was giddy knowing that Mel was going to be on the recap because, you know, obviously in the cut in half challenge, you know, notoriously Mellinger made, made Rocky the Rocktopus with their electric guitar. So you know, Mel, I'm curious to get your thoughts. You know, did you license this to them? Was there copyright infringement? You know, like, like what, what, do, we, be, what do we say? Got to be some copyright infringement. It's got to be something happening. It's like, what, what do I get paid at? Where do I sign a good paid at? Because I didn't, I didn't authorize that. <laughs> you know, her, her rock to push, their, their rock to push needs some more instruments in their hands. That's what, you know, that's, that makes a rock to push because other than that, that's an octopus. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, I think like, um, 
you know, it could be one of those things where a lot of the teams talk even in their preseason or postseason about their prep. And one of the things they do is they watch back the other seasons. And so certainly they would have watched season one. So part of me wonders, was it just one of those things that was like floating in their brain um, that they latched onto here with another Roctopus? Um, but at least it was a very cute one and it was different enough from yours with its little top hat. Um, but Mel, what did you think about the rest of the build? Uh, I think these girls are on it. Like you, you, you come out with the funny characters from, from the jump and you, you, you establish yourself and that'll help you, you know, give yourself some room away from the other competitors. I, I think that these two here, they're, they're fun and they're, their builds are fun. And I think that's that's what we're going for here. Yeah. I mean, to your point about the character, like it was beautifully rounded and building these brick built characters has gotten a lot of people great attention, especially I think, you know, back to last season, you know, there was tons of brick built characters. It almost seemed like everyone had been learning that that was one of the things that people liked in season one and two. Um, but, you know, Dave, I, I, you know, I, I have to imagine you liked this build. I know this was a, one of the standout teams for you. So what were you, what was your thoughts of the musicianship? Um, I liked a lot of things about this build. Uh, I really liked the colors. I thought it was really colorful. I think they had really great icons. I think they had those little details to draw you in. I think Jamie was absolutely spot on in his criticism of let's just flip some things around and think about the composition. Um, you know, elevate the things that are important. Uh, think about how you're looking at it from lots of different places, from far away, from up close. Uh, yeah, I think all the pieces, I would have just moved a couple of the pieces around. Yes. Uh, yeah, Jamie's feedback said, I would have loved you reversed those ukuleles and elevated that octopus as it would as it will allow the whole scene to be visible. And I think, you know, so much of this, maybe it's because it's a boat and it's just like a unique shape, but everything was sort of like buried in the bowels of the ship, um, you know, and, uh, for plenty of the team. So this wasn't like a unique um, challenge for them. But yes, I thought this one was was very, very colorful with those large ukuleles. And I also liked that they weren't um, while the design was symmetrical, the color scheme wasn't, um, you know, like you know, one was one color, one was the other color, and they had like beautiful outlines. So well, like while the while the shape of those ukuleles was kind of, um, you know, simple enough, it was just the cleanliness made it so clear and really fun with the colors. Um, but Greg, what was your thoughts? Yeah, I agree about the great modeling part. I actually felt like looking at the model, it was a little bit too much. I felt like I was looking at like Clash of the Neon Fates or something like that. And I was like, it's it's all, it's almost too much. Like you want to be colorful, you want to party, but not quite as much thought for that color theory again. I'm just starting to sound like Amy at this point. But, you know, <laughs> it's like maybe not quite as much thought for the color theory. And literally, like if they had just, it's like they did it at 12. And they needed to just dial it back to 10 and then they would have been right there. Yeah. No, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Because one of the things that we saw kind of around the base of it was on the sides, it was like purple with pink dots. At the front, it was purple with those pink leaf pieces. So there was like a lot of busyness. I mean, listen, I grew up in a, a time where people loved their Lisa Frank Trapper Keepers, where it's just like, you know, colorful rainbow, like amazingness. So there's a piece of me that does like feel very... uh kindred to this to this build but i think to your point that's that's that tiny tiny bit of refinement that just takes it from being a really really amazing fun build to one that is just nailing it on every single level so i think we're getting nitpicky because it was that good um and there was a lot of those little details there was um stingrays and crabs and other brick built characters sitting in sort of the the, the audience to the octopus behind him there's some flags with music notes and different little coral builds so we know that this team knows how to do it. And so I just can't wait. And <laughs> Greg, did it remind you at all of 
um, Liz and Aaron, you know, cause their build was a ukulele and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're the, the, you know, two friends, like, I don't know. I was getting a lot of like Liz and Aaron vibes. And I say that as a huge compliment cause I love Liz and Aaron. I did feel like the Liz and Aaron were strong with those two. And when they did their Bricky Bricky song, if you remember one of our beloved grandpappies from season one did Bricky Bricky, Bricky 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 from the DJ thing. So again, it's just, it's a testament to everyone that you need to copyright everything you do on the show, uh, even though you don't <laughs> own any of it, so you can get royalties. Yes, yes, de definitely. Uh, you know, I, I think everyone needs to be thinking about those things in advance. Um, but why don't we move on then to Jordan and Chris. Theirs was nightlife, um, you know, obviously spelled K-N-I-G-H-T um, because it was a castle theme built. Um, Jordan says, hop aboard this medieval themed nightlife boat. Be entertained by one of the best DJs in the entire kingdom with his working turntable. And of course, we have some dragons flying overhead to add to the ambiance. Um, well, you know, this one was a very fun medieval build. You know, Mel, I, I know you I know you can dig some castle builds. So what did you think of this one? Oh, man, the castle bros are back. They're coming back. You know, I think castle. <laughs> <laughs> I think castle is king, man. Like. I think that this build here and it, the the ingenuity, and I know I don't mess that word up. I got two, <laughs> but um, it, you know, you got I'm over head, I'm head over heels for this team here because they're friends, right? And me and Jermaine are friends, and so I'm always you know uh, gun ho for the friends team, and uh, just to do something that you know, like you're mocking like expertise, like these guys love castle, and we're talking about boats, and they put a castle on a boat. You know, you dare to be different and, you know, it could, it could backfire on you or it could be great. And I think they built a great one here. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I almost am glad they got it out of their system. You know, I think like it, it could have been the, the castle like theme could have been something that they'd been wait, you know, like they were waiting and waiting and that challenge may never have come up. So in some mm -hmm. ways, I'm glad they got to like do something they know with a lot of comfort and be able to do it really well early on just to build that confidence for the rest of the competition. But now they won't build another castle, which I think will only be good for them as builders. Um, but Greg, you know, what did you think about the nightlife boat? Okay, so I actually struggled a little bit to feel like it was all cohesive, but they went for it. I mean, they just went for it. Like the big dragon build DJ, the small flying dragons, you know, they, they thought about many elements. They took some inspiration from Viking longships for the way that they did the shields and everything down the side. So it was clear that they were really thinking about carrying their three, their theme all the way through the build. And there's a ton of value in that. So like, I, I love both these guys. Um, but I like, I, I wanted to like the model more than I did. I'll put it that way. No, I, I think I appreciate what you're saying because I think we've, you know, we've seen castle builds both on the show, but also at tons of conventions. And I think, one of the things that was such a standout for me in season two was Caleb and Jacob's castle build in the cliffhanger challenge. And the reason why I think it won and was, well, first of all, it was unbelievable. But I think one of the reasons why it really stood out to me was that they didn't build it in gray. You know, like they just said, you know, castles are, have all these markers, these shaping details that make it a castle. It doesn't have to be gray. And listen, Greg, I guess you and Brendan did the same thing with your blue and red castle. But, you know, Dave, what did you think about this one? Yeah, I think what you're talking about, what everyone's talking about is really interesting. You know, like you go right to what you know, and that's a great way to like start. But it is also good to like push yourself out of that comfort zone. Uh, and they tried to do that a little bit by incorporating the party, but it's still I'm not quite sure it worked. 
However, I do really like this team. I think all of us are just like, <laughs> we want to, like, I think we're all like rooting for this team in a way. Uh, and I, I, I'm fingers crossed, everybody. I'm just putting this out there for the end of the episode. I hope we're going to do a, a draft because I know that hasn't happened in a while, Michael. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I hope we have a little friendly wager because that has happened in the past. Um, last winner, baby. I, was the last winner. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people who would pick this team right yeah. now. Sure. Um, but, you know, Michael, sometimes, you know, you build dragons once and then you build dragons again and again and again. Sometimes you build castles once and you build, you keep going with those castles. But hopefully they bring something unique and interesting to that if they're going to go back to this well again. But, you know, like you said, maybe they got out of the way. It's out of their system. You just get through this challenge and then really start showing what you can do as you get accustomed once you get your feet in the water. Yeah, and clearly they have like the building prowess. I think that's why we're all so excited about this team. You know, like the castle, you know, had curved sections. I think one of the details that I just was like in love with was the two towers that were at the front of the ship. They had these unique domed tops that were red, that were made out of like what, what we would see as like a tail piece or a large like, um, you know, tusk piece for an elephant that was done in a circle to create that, like that, just knowing how to make that happen with, you know, some of the limitations of the pieces in the brick pit, I think just goes to show this team's really going to bring it for the rest of the season. So to your point, there was nothing bad about this build. The dragon, the character was unbelievable. The mechanism to get the dragons to spin. We saw, you know, um, Emily and Liam struggle with that. Um, and, and, you know, they flew backwards, uh, you know, later on in their, uh, in their camp build. So like, we, like, the fact that they're just like casually pulling that out here on two towers, like this is definitely a team to watch. So I'm very, very excited um, to see what they're going to do. Um, and I, I don't, I don't have any notes about a float test. So I'm assuming this one floated, um, <laughs> but, uh, but we'll have to see. <laughs> um, the, the next thing we have is Paul and Nilita. This was the dairy fairy. And uh, as the story goes all aboard the dairy fairy, where you can dive right into our ice cream float pool. We also have a very special guest today aboard the Dairy Ferry. Who is it? He goes by the name of DJ Cheddar. This cheesy boat party is a lituation. Um, but yeah, this was a very, very fun dairy-themed one from our Wisconsin brother and sister. Um, but Dave, what did you think about the Dairy Ferry? You know, I really liked a lot of parts of it. Uh, I think it was a cohesive build. It had one idea, um, but I struggled a little bit with the things that would draw me in and make me stay there. Like, I'm happy to look at it, but I just didn't really feel like totally invited in to hang out at the party, if that makes sense. However, I do want to say one thing. The minifigure that fell off <laughs> was a brown minifigure, okay? I don't know about you guys, but I never saw a single minifigure that didn't have a yellow head in the brick pit. And I am so happy that finally we're having some representation in the minifigures that people are allowed to use on the show. Yeah. I mean, it did seem like like every team had a requirement to put themselves in the build, like two minifigures of themselves, and they all seem to have natural skin tone. Um, so I definitely think, you know, it, you know, it's something Dave and I have talked about off podcast about, you know, the future of yellow figures and, and making sure that, you know, the characters in our sets and in our builds on Lego Masters look like the, you know, cornucopia of amazing people that are Lego fans and people around the world. So 
I did love that. Um, but it was a very funny moment when they crash their boat into the bank and poor Neelita just flies over onto the, onto the bank of the river. Um, that was pretty funny. Um, and I'm, listen, I, I don't think any minifigures were permanently harmed in this, you know, the filming of this episode. So, um, you know, that's all good, but Mel, what did you think about the dairy fairy? Oh, I think they, they, they use that concept pretty well. And I, I love DJ Cheddar. <laughs> De- definitely well-crafted. <clears throat> um, I hope they don't lose points, uh, the navigation of the boat. <laughs> Yes, I know. It, it's, it's unclear sort of how much weight they gave to the floating aspect of all this. But um, yeah, the DJ Cheddar was a really fun like character icon. We saw a lot of cheesy details, um, it sort of seemed like the second like main tier of the ship was a probably like a holy cheese, like a Swiss cheese um, sort of was the design language for the windows there. Uh, but Greg, what stood out to you about this one for you? Uh, I think that their theme was pretty good. But to be honest, I was just kind of struggling with the blockiness of it all. It's sure Lego is already a block. So if you render blocky things out of Lego, I'm not surprised. It's when you render more organic forms out of Lego that I sort of perk up and take notice. So, you know, Nina and Sam did that really well on the bow of their boat. You're like, oh, wow, that's that's sort of a very non-standard Lego shape. So I kind of struggled with the blockiness of it all. And I, I hope that they have some, you know, some sculpting ability up their sleeve that's going to come out later in the season. Yeah. I mean, we did see like all the walls of it were, you know, were square. You know, they had the cow print, they had their dairy fairy sign, and it literally made a box um, around the base of the ship. So it is one of those things that I would love to see them continue to iterate on. Um, but overall, I think it was a pretty clean design. I think maybe it's another one of those ones like Luis and Alex, where there was nothing like wrong about it. Like they nailed the theme. It was pretty clean. Um, there were some large icons and it didn't probably like take it up the notch that it could have from a shaping um, standpoint. But overall, I thought it was a really fun theme. And they, there was some good little shaping with those ice cream balls that they had in the, or I should say scoops that they had in the pool. Um, you know, that sort of Lowell sphere type uh, technique for those in the know. Um, but yeah, no, I really liked this one. Um, you know, and the one thing Jamie said was, um, you know, when you're talking about a great character like DJ Cheddar, give him a throne or give him something to sit on. Um, so, uh, you know, Jamie just wants to make sure all of our brick built characters, you know, are, are comfortable and propped up the way they should be. Um, <laughs> uh, but overall, like, like a very solid build from Paul and Neilita this episode. And then our final build was from Emily and Kelly. This build was entitled Victory. And it was all about, you know, a yacht with different games. And it said, and Emily says, me and Kelly are throwing a game night party on the boat Victory. On level one, you find tasty, tasty turtles. I'm assuming that's like a hungry, hungry hippos um, ripoff. Uh, and then it says, uh, if that's not your thing, head up onto our top court where you can play a nice round of tennis. And I don't, I'm guessing they, they said this in their story, but I believe the second level was like large couches where people were playing video games on flat screens. That's what at least it looked like to me. Um, but that wasn't clearly defined in their story. But Greg, what did you think about the boat victory? Yeah, I I thought that I thought they had a, a pretty decent idea going into it. And, you know, the judges talked about this, too, but it was just kind of suffering in the details department. Uh, I actually thought that, you know, the overall execution was all right and that it had just some decent composition elements and choosing to leave the decks open so they could be seen from the sides was, you know, a, a good idea. Um teams have struggled before from details being hidden but it was just kind of like even if i had stepped up to the build i just don't know that i would have seen a lot of details that would have made me want to stay yeah and and to your point like i loved the three-tier design and and that each tier had color um but when you look at it from that side view that they always give you on tv like we talked about 
it can make it look a little vacant. Um, you know, Mel it sort of reminded me of you in the mega city challenge, you know, where you built that glass wall building, but you got to fill it was the feedback. So what was your thoughts about this one? Yeah, that glass building keep coming back every season, don't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, coming. <laughs> I know, I, I'm sorry. I said I said to Greg, I wouldn't, uh, you know, uh, bring up old wounds. And and here, here we are. We already talked about the bridge challenge, Mel. I'm, I'm sorry to everyone. Double whammy. <laughs> Pick on Dave at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coming from somebody who's about to throw rocks at a glass, uh, glass building, you know, glass house <laughs> i am um uh you know i don't i don't know kelly or emily personally like i, I i've seen them around you know cons and stuff like that and i know the work that they can do so yeah you know they, I, I looking at this build i'm, I'm like you know I, I i'm definitely like yeah you know what you let me down <laughs> you, you let me down <laughs> i was expecting you know a lot and i get it like 10 hours isn't a lot of time but these builders know that and and each year the builders are are more competitive and they put more uh 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 what am I trying to say more of their like their their wheelhouse becomes bigger because they've seen you know the season before and so I'm expecting more you know especially from these two ladies and detail is everything and like Dave said earlier if you're standing back in the room and you're looking at your build on the table you got to identify what it is if I'm seeing through it and yeah I'm throwing another rock through that glass building. <laughs> you know, if I'm seeing through it, you know, there's a problem and like put those put those fine details in. And so that, you know, that the judges can't pick pick that apart from you because you know where you stand, you know where you're supposed to be. Yeah. And it's interesting because to your point about learning from previous seasons, you know, they knew color was a big thing. So they created those tiers of different color. You know, you could you could see a lot of like the gears working of what are the things the judges like to see, but it almost just wasn't fully realized into a completely cohesive build. You know, part of me have had this thought, like, you know, if games was the theme of this, then think of like, well, then what does a games boat look like? You know, like at least with the Dairy Fairy, I had no question what that boat was about. You know, even if it, the build was simpler, I, I had no question what that boat was about. I think to your point, when you look at it from the side, it was a boat with three tiers. Was it a games boat? You know, I wonder if maybe that would even have given them a little bit more focus to actually help them achieve the icons and the other things that we know the judges like to see as well. Dave, uh, you know, what was your thoughts about this one? You know, there's a reason why sports teams play preseason games. <laughs> I mean, really, there is. You you get all the, the details ironed out so that when you get to the actual competition, you're ready to compete. It didn't feel like Kelly and Emily were ready to compete. It felt like they they had studied what to do. They They had all the pieces, but they weren't ready to do it in the moment. And some of that, I think, just comes from like, it was a short time. 10 hours is not a lot of time. It's your first time doing it. They had the ideas of what to do. But when it came time to do it all on game day, it didn't quite work out for them today. Yeah. But like I said, I think like the, the fundamentals of their building techniques are so there. Like, you know, we, you know, Greg, you talked about like creating a more unique shape for the boat. At the very front of the ship was this beautifully curved section that I imagine was flex tubes and white flags that created like a pointy nose, but on a curve. And I just thought that was such a unique building technique. So like yes. we know yeah. that they've got stuff to pull out here. You know, that was our last team. So we have to move on then to the judging or the uh, results phase, I should say, of the episode. And this was um, actually one quick thing before I leave the judging phase. We didn't get into it because we didn't talk a lot th through the judges feedback. 
But I think the editors really did Jamie dirty this episode where like <laughs> Amy led every single feedback session. Listen, and Amy's unbelievable. She had great little lines, you know, about like the just that nugget that they needed to know. And then they would cut to Jamie who would just have like one line that would echo her and it would be shorter. And, and, you know, and, and listen, like, I'm not trying to say that, you know, um, you know, that, you know, Amy shouldn't be the star that she is because she's definitely a star, you know, that I think we're so lucky to have on the show. But I felt like because they yada yada through so much here in the judging phase, Jamie's great feedback just got cut down so short. So I had to call that out. It was something I noticed, but, um, and cause I'm a Jamie stan. I love Jamie. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see some other good nuggets from Jamie later in the season, but when we move to the results, like I said, normally we get a top two, bottom two. We didn't get that this episode. Um, they just went out and said the winner. And the winner of this episode was Nina and Sam, um, which was such an exciting one. Greg, what was your takeaway about Nina and Sam? I I would have picked the same thing. I would have. I mean, there were some other good votes in there, but when they announced them as the winners, I was like, I agree with that. And actually, I got some DL on who the number two was. Ooh, who was the number two? It was Jordan and Chris. Ooh. With the castle vote. Nice. Okay. So so what they did definitely worked for the judges. You know, it definitely worked for the judges, um, which, you know, that's super important. At the end of the day, you're building for the judges. So, um, you know, Nina and Sam, I definitely think they deserve the dub on this one. And I'm glad they got that. Absolutely. Um, you know, this one was just such a standout. And I loved Nina's line where she said, having our culture represented for the first time on Lego Masters shows that Lego is for everyone. And I know, Dave, that is something that resonates with you. What was your takeaway from this win? And I think they got it exactly right. Um, I think that it was a, a perfect build for what the challenge called for. And, you know, I think Greg touched on this a little bit, is that they really moved beyond the requirements of the challenge to make something that was special. And I think this was a special build. And yeah. I hope this is a special team to watch. Oh, I, I definitely hope so too. And and to your point, like, I think that maybe now knowing who the number two was, I think I know to your point why Nina and Sam won, because they really put themselves in the build. You know, it was it was about their family, about their culture. You know, listen, like love Jordan and Chris, love that they met on a Lego forum, love that they love Castle. But is that who they are? Is that where they come from? I mean, I learned more about who Chris was in his opening line than I knew from their castle build. You know, so I think maybe that it was the difference maker when it comes to two incredibly polished, really great builds. That story element, you know, like I think that that can be the difference maker. And it really felt to me a little bit like a throwback this episode because we got so much story. And I almost feel like we haven't seen that since season one, Mel. But what was your takeaway from Nina and Sam? Oh, I, I think the judges got this right, even though my heart was probably somewhere else. But I think that at this point, you know, Sam and his mother, you know, Nina put a lot of their soul, their heart and soul into this build. And it showed. So it was easy to say, hey, look, these are our winners right here because this is, the, you know, they, they completed the assignment as we asked. Um, so I think that I think that, you know, I'm, I'm very excited for Sam and his mother uh, and, and, and kudos to them for representing you and bringing it to the forefront on national TV. Absolutely. Um, well, unfortunately, you know, where there's a top two, where there's a winner, we have a bottom two in this challenge. And our bottom two were Brad and Mike and Emily and Kelly. Um, you know, the feedback for Brad and Mike, Jamie said, we were just so happy to see you have a finished model as big as it was. Unfortunately, the building techniques were simple and not at the level we could expect from you. Uh, for Emily and Kelly, Amy said, we loved your ambition in going for scale, but unfortunately that came at the expense of all the details and stories 
that we're really looking for in your builds. Ultimately, the team that was sent home this time was Mike and Brad. Uh, you know, Dave, what were your thoughts about this team and, you know, having to say goodbye to them so early? I think it's a mistake. I have to be honest. I don't think the first episode should be an elimination episode. Okay. I'll just say it. Like, let's, why? I mean, why? Why? Let's just make <laughs> it a preseason game. Give everybody a chance to get a build out. And so, because we really want to, I mean, isn't the point of the show to show how great Lego building is? So give everybody a chance so that we can just see the best of everybody. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to to see somebody go home because like this was their first time building in the brick pit and they couldn't come up with an idea the first time. Give everybody a chance and then we can just move on from there. That's it. That's it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I honestly completely agree with you. I mean, certainly seasons one and two, a little bit of a precedent was set where that was the case. And maybe because of that, they wanted to change it up for season three. But it is really tough, especially because I feel like the deck was really stacked against all the teams this episode. To your point, it was the first one. All we hear about is how confusing the brick pit is, how there's right wedges, but no left wedges and all these sort of things. Like it definitely is a learning curve just to get used to being on camera, to building with the bricks in the brick pit. But then you also only give them 10 hours. Like, I mean, I forget Mel, but like, I have to imagine, I think your first challenge was like 14 plus hours in season one, you know, so that is like the right way to let them settle in. You know, then. Mike and Brad could have wasted the four to five hours that they did and still had 10 hours to make an unbelievable, unbelievable build. So I think that mm. they were sort of, the odds were double stacked against them from it being an elimination first challenge and it being such a short first challenge. Um, but, you know, Greg, you know, as we say goodbye to Mike and Brad, you know, what, what's your takeaway here? I'm bummed that we didn't get to see more of what they could do. You know, obviously season three was the first time we had an elimination in the first episode and no offense to lego masters but i think all the season three cast is still sore about it right because like you had drew and miranda who had so much potential and, and so i'm gonna i'm gonna relate this to the personal experience i had with so much potential they you know they whiffed on the first build and then it's like you've taken all this time and all this preparation to get here and then it's like one episode you get sent home and it's you never had a chance to really come back you never had a chance to prove yourself you know it's like you didn't even get like a number two shot to be like all right one bad day right we had one bad day in episode 12 and we went home but if you have one bad day on episode one like that's it you never get uh, your and like are you probably ever going to be back on the show like probably not right so it's like you never even had a chance so it's just I had that personal experience of like seeing them go through it and all of us being like, that's like the worst. That's so rough. And uh, so I, I can't imagine that it wasn't a very similar thing for both of those guys. And it's just a bummer that, you know, they didn't get at least the second shot. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, you know, we often think about this, you know, with other reality shows, you know, people who have listened to the podcast know I love Survivor. I love Big Brother, which is airing right now. Same production company as Lego Masters. But, um, you know, like I love these social strategy shows where oftentimes we talk about, are the twists fair? You know, is this fair? Mm -hmm. And as a player, you want it to be fair for you. As a producer, they want it to make compelling television for us at home. And I think that's the, that's the struggle that we feel because we care about all these people, especially on a show like Lego Masters. Um, you know, and so part of me wonders if like, this is the more compelling show moment, especially when they change it up on season three. But I think that the reason why I wonder if it's more compelling is then they can do a bye week when you get to sit longer with the characters that you've already gotten to know and love 
Whereas you're saying goodbye to a team you barely got to know, you know, maybe for them, that's like, you know, half a dozen, whatever of the other, you know, it, it works out better in the end for the production of the show. That said, even in my short interaction with Mike and Brad in the preseason interview I did with them, I'm like gutted. I'm super gutted that this team was cut short, you know, so I definitely wanted to spend more time with them. Um, but Mel, you know, help us say goodbye to Mike and Brad. What, what What's your final thoughts? Sending folks home on the first episode, uh, dark times, Lego masters, dark times. Like, <laughs> like I, I just, you know, I'm with Dave. You want to see, you want to see more what, uh, what, you know, what people have to offer. And I'm sure that Mike and Brad had more to offer, um, you know, um, but, you know, the, like those are the rules and with production, you're on you're on a schedule. And so that's that's the way the ball bounces, G. And and you have to be at your best all the time. And, you know, I said it before, like, I, you know, I want to beat you at your best. The first the first episode of every season, nobody's at their best because you're, you're trying to balance things out and you're trying to get your game. So, yeah, it, it's 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 one of those nasty sticks that, you know, that you that you live with. And that's just the way the ball bounces. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, one thing I will say is, you know, they were a married couple, you know, just two husbands, you know, just like any other couple. It was represented on the show. I know how important that was to Brad and to Mike. And I'm really glad that even as they left, we see them kiss on the show. And, you know, I, I you know, not to like belabor it, but, you know, that's that's the representation that we even started this episode with was being able to see people reflected. The winner of this of this challenge saw their culture reflected. And I hope that even while their time on the show was short, that Brad and Mike felt like their community was represented, that they were able to represent their love, their their coupledom here on on the show. And it was they had a lot of really sweet moments. And they're definitely like a really like playful, silly couple. Um, even as they went out, um, you know, they were joking that, um, you know, Brad said, nobody wants to be the first team to go home. We just suffered from that anxiety lock. And I can't remember another team in the three seasons before us that took that long to get started. So like unbelievable humility after you just got eliminated. Um, but, you know, Mike went on to say, like, we are the champions. Like we have that title. At least we can like be in the history books being that that duo. And I just loved sort of like their continuance to be playful, to, um, you know, just, you know, have enjoyed the experience with humility, with love. And, mm -hmm. and I think like it's those little nuggets of why I'm going to miss them as much as I think I will, you know? So, um, you know, unfortunately we have to say goodbye to Brad and Mike, um, and we move on to the next episode, but for Dave's sake, before we move on to the next episode, why don't we talk about uh, I'm not sure we're ready to do a wager just yet, Dave. I think we're still early in the season, <laughs> but I'd love to go down the line. We can start with you, Dave. Who are you excited about? Who are you rooting for? Who do you think has a chance to take it all just from one episode in? Okay, Michael. All right. I, besides the people I talked about at the beginning, I really want to see more of Nina and Sam. Mm -hmm. I know they're the winners, but I, I'm, I was really impressed with what I saw. And uh, I am also really excited to see how Emily and Kelly respond to what happened. It's always fun to see what happens when somebody's in the bottom and what happens afterwards. And then, I mean, I'm just excited for Jordan and Chris. Yeah. I mean, three definitely good ones. It's funny, like in season one, if you were in the bottom two in one episode, you went home the next. But I think ever since then, that really hasn't been as much of a trend. Um, so we definitely could see Emily and Kelly bounce back. Uh, we'll we'll move over to you, Greg. You know who are you excited about? So these are these are probably the four teams right now that I'm most interested to keep watching. It's just one episode, but Jordan and Chris, Nina and Sam, 
Uh, Chris and Robert, I am very interested to watch the two of them still because they got, you know, they strike me as a couple of real smart cookies and that can, that can come out in super interesting ways when you're building. And uh, Poppy and Ben, man, I was impressed by the U.S. Fusion. So just there, you know, they come from two such different places that there's just like a, a wealth of diverse perspective there. And I think that could come out in some really, some really beautiful builds. So those are the four that definitely excite me after episode one. Yes. I mean, it, it's one of those things where like, it's hard not to get excited about so many of these teams. You know, there's, yeah. there's like a piece of me, you know, one thing we talk about in the survivor <clears throat> community is there's a whole system that they call edgic. And it's basically a way to understand the edit of the show, how many confessionals that a person gets on survivor, all these things as a way to say, what is their likelihood to win? Because we've seen how the editors handle the season and survivors flip the script on us to try to like really change up the tropes there. But there's a piece of me that's like, could Jordan and Chris win when they were so, uh, you know, we didn't get to see a ton of them today. But at the same time, what we did see was Chris start the episode. So, you know, it could be some interesting editor tricks. Um, so you can't count them out, um, especially knowing that they were secretly the number two here. Um, but Mel, what about you? Who are you rooting for? Oh, man, I think uh, no particular order. I think uh, I think it's going to be for me, it's going to be Christopher and Robert I say Jordan and Chris. I like to see Emily and Kelly, and I think Tim and Tim are going to sneak in. Oh, I like that. I like that. I mean, we've we've covered almost all the teams, you know, like to some extent, you know, in our discussions today. I mean, I think I'm definitely excited about um, Christopher and Robert. I loved, you know, um, just that Pagoda build. It just shows what they're going to be able to bring. And I think they they come at it from a different angle, like we've been talking about. I, you know, I'm also excited about Jordan and Chris. Like part of me feels like this, this, this challenge doesn't even scratch the surface of what I think that they're capable of. Um, so I'm very excited about that. And then one other like dark horse I'll say here is, um, is Luis and Alex. I, you know, we talked about people coming back. I'm very excited just to see what they do next. You know, they know they need to build bigger. And when I interviewed uh, Luis uh, in the preseason, he has this giant Aztec temple build that's like just casually sitting over his corner. So I don't know. I, I mean, I think like uh, as long as we're like spreading our uh, our rooting interests, you know, very thin across this cast, I'll, I'll incorporate another one um, that, we, that we just have to see more of um, just to get a full perspective on it. But we also got a little preview for the, one of the most adorable episodes, I have to imagine, that we'll ever see on the show. Um, next episode, there is a ton of kittens. So each team is going to have to build these kittens, the most unbelievable pet palace on the planet. Um, Greg, I have to start with your thoughts on this next episode as the only one of this panel that has ever had to build with animals. Um, you know, what do you think about this challenge and and really how it's very different than the last one? I love season three, episode five. So needless to say, I'm <laughs> like, let's go. Let's get those animals in there. I mean, it was a ton of fun actually building with these delightful animals on set. I mean, you know, kittens are lovely. So I can't imagine that the next episode isn't going to be adorable and a great time. <laughs> yes. But I think, you know, they always talk about um, from an actor standpoint, you know, I come from a theater background. They always say, you know, you never want to work with kids or animals, um, you know, in, in acting. And so I am curious to see sort of like, will there be any like shenanigans where like they put the kitten in the build and it just like goes to the bathroom or, you know, something like that, you know, those bricks better not go back into circulation. So I'm curious to see if there'll be any shenanigans there. Um, but Mel, you know, if you were going to build the most unbelievable pet palace on the planet, 
Like, where does your head go? What, what would it take to uh, to satisfy these tough customers, these kittens? Oh, animal control. I would probably build an animal control wagon because I don't <laughs> like cats. I'm allergic to them. So, yeah, all of them can go in the animal control wagon. <laughs> Give yeah, me the I don't, break. They, I don't think they would see that as the most unbelievable pet palace. I think they would see that as like a, a like a little torture chamber. Um, but <laughs> but I, I I appreciate your slightly sadistic humor there. Um, but Dave, what are your thoughts about this? Or you know, I know like you often like to think through some of the problems that they might encounter. So I'm curious, you know, what do you think it's going to take to win this one? Well, I know I would not be able to win it because I would be like Emily, and I would. I, I, this is probably surprising to everyone here. I love kittens. I would not be able to build. I would just want to play with the kittens the whole time. I would not be able to do anything except play with the kittens. Yeah. But I also know you're so competitive, Dave. So I have to imagine like you wouldn't really be able to take the eyes off the prize. I mean, I'd probably be trying to think a little bit cheeky, you know, in a Tom and Jerry kind of way, itchy and scratchy, like, what could we do to make the kittens have fun, but also like dangle knives over their heads <laughs> in a funny way, <laughs> giant mallets smashing on them, but, you know, in a fun way. Yes. I mean, they don't know what you're building. So to your point, like it's all just colors to them. So it would be kind of hilarious to put them in in funny situations like, you know, uh, even if it was like you know, like an accounting firm or something like it'd be funny to see them like, at little you know, desks. Those, those, those things where you like put your head inside something oh, and you, yeah. look, you look like a giant clown or something. I'd love to make kittens look like clowns. That'd be hilarious. Yes. Oh my gosh. I think that would be a ton of fun. And I think if, you know, this first, you know, RC boats and kittens, and we saw all sorts of craziness, you know, coming for the rest of the season with RC cars and, um, you know, just like, I can't even imagine what we're going to be seeing for the rest of the season. So I'm very, very excited. We're rooting for basically all the teams. Uh, so I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But that unfortunately brings us to the end of this recap. Um, but obviously, I want to thank my amazing panel here for helping us break it down and, and really kicking off the season in style. Um, you know, kind of the, the the wisdom from all three seasons here for season four. Um, but obviously, everyone's going to want to keep in touch with the three of you and follow everything that you're doing um, you know, post podcast. So Greg, where can everybody find you and, and anything you want to plug uh, that people should check out? Yeah. So if people want to follow me on Instagram, my handle is Iron Man, one word, Iron Man underscore Greg. And then um, you can follow my film studio, which is Monotogo Studios by the same name on both Instagram and Facebook. Perfect. Um, Dave, you know, where can everybody find you and, and anything interesting you want people to check out? Uh, I think you just Follow me on Instagram, Dave Coletta, uh, and hopefully you'll see some stuff that you're interested in. Yes. Well, I, as being Dave's friend, I get some of the sneak peeks of what's coming next. So there's some good stuff. So just stay tuned on the Instagram. Um, but Mel, uh, bring us home here. Where can everybody keep in touch with you? What are you up to these days that, that you want people to check out? Oh, you can uh, catch me on uh, uh, Instagram at uh, iceberg underscore bricks and YouTube. I'm ice, iceberg bricks. And I'm also I'll be in the Atlanta area October 15th with the Lego group. We have a project called Build Your Story where we got the Black community and we're putting bricks in the Black community's hands. Several different uh, families actually were able to take on this challenge that I was a part of and, and their creations will be in the art gallery. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, and just thank you all for, for joining me. I mean, I think 
season four, you know, like, like he said, we would never forget this amazing season and I'll never forget this amazing podcast. So thank you both. So thank you all so much. I, I just, I, you're all always so generous with your time. And this was a really, really fun one. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Absolutely. A huge shout out to Greg, Dave and Mel for an unbelievable season four premiere recap. I told you we were back in a big way for season four and this panel did not disappoint. Like I said at the top with this being a new season, definitely let your friends know about this recap podcast and be sure to leave ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening as it really helps others find the podcast. And coming up next in your podcast feed for me will be our exit interview with Brad and Mike. And of course, next week, I'll be back to break down the kitten themed episode two with a brand new panel of your favorite former Lego masters. So be sure you're subscribed and stay tuned for everything we've got coming. So if you want to follow along with the podcast, be sure to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to it now. And if you're listening on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review as it really helps others find the podcast. If you want even more Lego content, be sure to check out my YouTube channel, Talk Bricks, where I cover the Lego news for the week every Saturday. And you can follow the channel on all social media platforms with the username at Talk Bricks. And if you want to follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, it's Talk Bricks Masters. And on Twitter, it's TB Masters. Thanks again, and I'll see you guys next time.